In confusion and uncertainty, there emerges a guiding light, a beacon that cuts through the darkness. Welcome to Beacon of Truth with your host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Beacon of Truth. I'm your host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and uh, having a great time today. Spoke to a group of uh, middle school students. I'm still here, my last day. Uh, at the parish mission at St. Susanna Catholic Church in Mason, Ohio, just north of Cincinnati. And uh, uh, went out for some uh, pizza last night. Uh, it's supposed to be, uh, you know, kind of indigenous to this area. And had some getta uh, for breakfast this morning. Tried a little bit of that. And uh, uh, so it's it's been a wonderful uh, time here. So thank you to the... EWTN family members who came up in, uh, to me last night and, and thanked me for, uh, for the show and how much you enjoy it. Uh, thank you so much for uh, introducing yourself to me. It was great to meet you. And uh, if you want to see where I'm going to be, just go to the schedule. Go to my website, deaconherald.com. Click on the schedule tab in the header, and you'll see where I'll be for, uh, well, I guess for the next few months, but especially coming up uh, in this Lenten season. Uh, you know, um, yesterday uh, we uh, had a discussion. Um, our producer, Ace, brought up a thing about um, kids putting their hands over their face. If you remember, we talked about that yesterday, and uh, I did, I'd never heard it about that before. Um, but then someone listening, one of our listeners, uh, heard us talking about that and sent us more information about it. And uh, quite frankly, it's, it's really sad. Yeah. So um, so Steve wrote in and said, it, I just so happened listening to your discussion, you discussing a recent social media trend where teens are encouraging each other to cover their faces during family pictures. I'm afraid it's more nefarious than what you dis- what you both discussed. The meaning behind the trend is that teens are signaling to each other a silent protest against being associated with their families. The signal is supposed to mean, I don't consent to this picture, as if to tell other teens, uh, let other teens know that they don't want to be associated with their families. Moreover, they were being forced to be part of this picture. I was like, man, I read that and, and my heart just kind of sank. Same. Yep. You know, I was like, wow, that's how sad that is. Um, you know that 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 these trends are happening, but see. Here's the thing. That's why I'm so glad I was able to talk to these middle school kids today. I, I hear from so many young people when they say they don't know how much God loves them. You know, and, uh, and, and, and trends, I don't know if it's a trend or a fad, whatever you want to call it, but I think it's tragic that young people don't want to be associated with their family. So it goes beyond what we were talking about yesterday yeah. where – you know, kids, the normal teen stuff, like, okay, mom, don't drop me off a block from the school so that kids won't see you drop me off because I'm not a baby anymore and that right. kind of thing. I can take the bus. I don't need you to drive me, that kind of stuff. Okay, that's normal teeny stuff. But, but this uh, covering the face thing and deliberately not want to be associated with your family, uh, to me, that's, that's disturbing. Why? Because you go back to Genesis and you see the first thing that Satan went after, of all the things that God created, was the family. You know, and that was his number one target then, and then his number one target now. And, uh, and to use social media 
and, and this kind of virtual signaling to show uh, uh, to, so teens can show each other. I don't want to be part of this family. Um, I, I think that's a, a very disturbing trend, and I hope that it's something that stops soon. And I would encourage all you Catholic teens that are listening, don't do that. And encourage your friends not to do that. Yep. You know, yes, we don't have perfect families. I certainly didn't have the perfect family. There's no such thing. Um, even the Holy Family, they were perfect in, in, you know, as far as, um, you know, uh, with regard to, you know, their al- alliance with God and their obedience to God's will. But they weren't spared the hardships of family life. You know, they lost Jesus uh, for a few days. You know, Joseph, you know, uh, dies and Mary becomes a single mom. Um, you know, they had to leave uh, to go to Egypt to, to escape. From, I mean, so they they endured some things in their lifetime as a family, you know. And and Satan is trying to disrupt family. He's trying to destroy covenant relation with God, and we we can't let him do that. So we can't you know participate in these cultural trends, which are really designed to disrupt uh, our intimate, personal, loving relationship with God. Yeah. Well, and I have teens at home, so I understand, you know, you may not always like the way you look on certain days, the outfit, the hair, whatever, you know. And so typically, like, for instance, we just celebrated my son's birthday and he didn't want pictures like he just was like flat out refused. So we just opted not to take any until he was ready. And I oftentimes on holidays, I'll go, okay, guys, we are going to do family pictures today. All I'm asking is you give me three really great ones and then you can go back to whatever you were doing. And that's and so the ones that I've posted from Thanksgiving was all of us together on the patio. And it was like, and then it was, you know, and even though they may have protested in their mind, they're like, fine, this makes, you know, mom and ace happy, you know, so like it's it's fine. But again, like you said, like. Families is important and it's important to God and he gave us our mom and our dads and yes they can be obnoxious I know I can be obnoxious hey come on selfie you know I've got pictures from our summer vacation that my daughter's like why did you post that you know but it's joking right she <laughs> she knows that's just who I am and I try to use the right filters but again we have to I I, I mean meeting teens where they are, right? I mean, because there's a million hormones going on. There's a million identity crisis going on in their heads and their hearts, and they're hearing from their friends, and then they're, you know, hearing from God, hopefully, and, you know, trying to decipher all of those things. And I think that's open discussion. To me, that's, that is the thing. You go, why does it bother you when we take pictures? Like, hear them out. And at least that's how we handle it in our house. It, It may not necessarily work for everyone, but that's how we've chose to handle it with our teens. Yeah, and, and I get it. I, I, I do get all that. that that's true. Um, you know, it, to me, it comes back to also looking um, in the scriptures, right? Exodus chapter 20, uh, that lists the Ten Commandments. Uh, number four is honor your father and your mother. Hmm. You know, and uh, it's, it's the only commandment that comes with a promise. So when Jesus breaks down the commandments, you know, love God and love your neighbor as yourself, you know, you have commandments one through three, love God, love your neighbors, yourself, you know, five through ten. Four is both. Yeah. Love God and love your neighbors, yourself. It's it's a it's called a hinge commandment. And it's again, why why is the only one that comes with a promise? That your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Right? So there's something about honoring your your father and mother, your parents. Why? Because that relationship um, is an earthly expression of God's relationship with us as a father mm-hmm. uh, of our family. 
you know, and, and Jesus draws us as our, as our brother uh, by adoption, draws us into that family life, that, that intimate, personal, loving communion with God. And so, uh, yes, parents aren't perfect. <laughs> parents aren't God, you know. <laughs> so, so sometimes they do embarrassing things, or sometimes they hurt us, right? Because um, yeah. uh, they're weak and they're fallible, um, and and sometimes that could really be tragic for kids, you know. Um, uh, parents that that do uh, things that are evil, um, you know. I, I, in fact, I was having lunch with uh, the pastor here today, and he was telling me. Um, uh, I think he heard it from another priest or something that uh, there were there were uh, I think the parents were devil worshippers they were satanic mm-hmm. and they abused their children purposely to make them evil. Wow, you know I mean there's a special place in hell for people like that. Yeah. I'm sorry, you know I mean to, to do something. And what did Jesus say? Let the children come to me. You know if it's better you tie a, a millstone around your neck and 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 drown in the sea than to hurt a child. Yeah. You know, so, uh, so yeah, there's, a, there's a, a lot of things in the world that aren't perfect. But, you know, um, when, you, when you don't have a father, you know, um, uh, to be that witness and example for you, we can always rely on God as our father because his love and his truth will never fail us. You know, yeah. so beautiful. Well, and you and I both come from situations in our own families where our dads were absent or they were, I guess you could say, mentally abusive. Mine was anyway. Uh, but from that standpoint, not allowing our earthly fathers to taint our heavenly father objective. Yeah, exactly right. Well, today's topic, we're going to talk about indulgences. We talked about tur- purgatory yesterday, and today we're going to talk about indulgences. What are they? And did the church actually sell indulgences? And how do they work in the life of the church? You want to be part of the conversation? Give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. 833 288 Three nine eight six, or email us beacon at ewtn.com and uh, you know as I was talking with the young people today it was wonderful you know the 7th graders are, were engaged the 8th graders are kind of quiet <laughs> but, 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 but they at least they were focused I was looking at them they were looking at me intently and listening and um, you know I was trying to, to, to really get across them how much God truly loves them and to Always keep God as the heart and the center of their life to find the joy that will give them a, a life of happiness that nothing in this culture could take away. 833-288-3986. You're listening to Beacon of Truth. Into Beacon of Truth. I'm your host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and you're listening on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our topic today is indulgences. If you want to be part of the program, give us a call, 833-288-3986, or email beacon at EWTN.com. We have our crack show team, uh, always ready to uh, pr- produce a quality product. On Beacon of Truth, we have our call screener, Matt Gabinski, our social media guru, Charles Beery, and our producer, Ace McKay. Ace, how you doing? I'm good, man. Of course, if, if you've ever dreamed of being a part of EWTN, and the great thing is between internet, radio, television, publishing, 
jobs are available. You can find out more about how to apply to them and what is available currently. EWTN.com slash employment today. All right. When you hear that music, you know it is time for the Psalms. And uh, today we're going to look at Psalm 32. So Psalm 32 is in book one of the Psalms. That's uh, uh, Psalms 1 to 41. And those Psalms are attributed to David. Uh, so in verse one of this Psalm, it's uh, the prescript says, of David, a maskil. So, okay, so maskil is one of those words that um, is used uh, sometimes in these in these descriptors in these pre uh, pre script descriptors that we don't know what it means. <laughs> so uh, so today it's sometimes translated as a, a contemplative psalm or a contemplative poem or uh, a skillful psalm or something like that. Or I've even seen enlightenment you know, an enlightened psalm or an inspired psalm, something like that. But we don't know what it meant back at the time that this word was used, right? So, uh, but we do know it's written by David, and it starts off uh, with the prescript. And then, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is remitted. Blessed the man to whom the Lord imputes no guilt, in whose spirit is no guile. All right, so here... I think we see some of the seeds, the foundation, the fruits of reconciliation. You know, whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is remitted, who the Lord imputes no guilt. Why? Because the guilt of that sin was forgiven. And of course, today, for us as Catholics, the normal way that we have that those transgressions forgiven, that sin is remitted, uh, when the Lord imputes no guilt, when the guilt of that sin is forgiven, is through the sacrament of reconciliation. Uh, with a priest, of course. Um, and so that that's the normal way that we restore that life of God, that sanctifying grace that was lost through mortal sin. Now, again, what is mortal sin? In order for a sin to be mortal, three things must be true and present at the same time. One, the sin must be grave matter. And the benchmark for grave matter is typically violation of one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, and that sin must be done with full knowledge and deliberate consent of the will. So that grave sin is done with full knowledge. I know what I'm doing is wrong. And deliberate consent of the will. I freely choose to do it anyway. So <laughs> those three things are together. You've lost the sanctifying grace that you need to get to heaven. And the way that it's restored. The normal way that's restored. Is through the sacrament of reconciliation with the priest. So here we have David. Um, you know, uh, saying that the man who, who seeks forgiveness. Is one who's blessed. Verse 3, I kept it secret and my frame was wasted. I groaned all the day long. For your hand day by day and by night lay heavy upon me. Indeed, my strength was dried up as by the summer's heat. So when you're, when you're holding in this guilt, when you're, you're holding back and, and, and yourself from God, when you're, 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 you're not confessing the sin, right? Uh, and, and see, it's like a weight, David says, he groaned all the day long, your, your hand lay heavy upon me. Because that's the guilt of our sin. You know, it does weigh, we, we even say it weighs on me. 
the heaviness of that sin, the burden of that, it weighs on me. And, and this is what David's trying to get across. Is his strength was dried up as by the summer's heat. Um, because living in sin and holding on to sin, you know, it, it drains us spiritually. Hmm. Right? So David is using some, some imagery here which talks of a deeper spiritual reality. Well, and the, to me, in my life, my walk, the weight of the things that I was hiding was way worse than whatever the ramifications were of coming clean. Like, yes, there may be severed relationships or jobs or whatever that may come from the things that you do, but at the same time, being separated from God and the weight of that guilt is way worse. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. And, you know, it's, it's, that's important because often the, the, the hardest person to forgive is, your, is yourself. True. Uh, with, with those sins, right? And that's where the heaviness comes from. Um, even though the sin is forgiven, sometimes we still feel the weight and the burden of, for, because of our conscience, yeah. right? And so David continues, to you I have acknowledged my sin, my guilt I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you have forgiven the guilt of my sin. Right? I love that. Now, here's the thing. Uh, David says, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you have forgiven the guilt of my sin. So some people will take that to mean that all you have to do is pray to Jesus directly, and your sin is forgiven. You don't have to go to uh, a mediator, because you know St. Paul says the only mediator uh, between God and man is the man Jesus Christ. You know, uh, and if you look at, so let's look at some other parallel verses, because if you just take this out of context then you're going to get yourself into a little problem here. So if we go to like Leviticus chapter uh, 5, verse 5. So Leviticus 5, 5. Leviticus 1 to 4 is a laundry list of sins. Then verse 5 says, If a man is guilty of any of these, the sins in, in 1 through 4, he shall confess the sin he has committed. Right? So, so an important part, an essential part, of the forgiveness of the sin is the confession of the sin. That David agrees with that uh, completely. And that, in fact, he says, I confess my transgressions. And if you look in the New Testament, in 1 John, uh, chapter, 1 John chapter 1, um, uh, first, yeah, first letter of John uh, chapter 1, uh, John talks about uh, this as well. Um, Again, sometimes people will use this uh, as a, a context. Uh, sorry, First John five, First John uh, chapter five. Um, so, uh, so he talks about the the difference between mortal and venial sin, and he says, uh, if you if anyone sees a brother committing what is not a mortal sin, he will ask, and God will give him life whose sin is not mortal. There is sin which is mortal. I do not say one is to pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin which is not mortal. All right, so he makes a clear distinction there between mortal sin or, or, or and and which we just simply call venial sin, sin which is not mortal. Um, but the idea here is you have to confess the sin. That's the important part. And so Jesus never says, "Pray to me, and your sins are forgiven." What Jesus says in John chapter twenty nineteen in the upper room. When he appears to the apostles on the evening of the resurrection, he breathes the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit and says, if you uh, receive the Holy Spirit, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. 
So Jesus gives specific and direct authority to forgive sins in his name in the power of the Holy Spirit to those apostles and empowers them to forgive sins. So so David talks about um you know the the uh, how you have to confess the sin but it doesn't say how the sin is forgiven because in Leviticus what you have to do is you have to offer a sacrifice to a priest through through the priest in order for that sin to be forgiven. I would say too this has helped me is being able to have you know when you go to confession or you have that support group that team as you come open about something you have someone to rally with you not only just in prayer, but maybe it's someone who's been there, done that, burn the T-shirt, and they can go, hey, here's here's how I got out of this addiction, or here's how I let go of these things, so that you have that accountability, you have that support, so you don't fall back into those old patterns. Yeah, exactly right. And uh, David continues, so let each faithful one pray to you in the time of need. The floods of water may reach high, but such a one they shall not reach. So when we, we need something, you know, when we're, when we're hurting, when we're feeling the heaviness and guilt of our sin, we pray to the Lord in our time of need. And even though the floodwaters may reach high, we feel sometimes that we may be drowning, they will not uh, uh, have that effect on us. They will not drown us. Why? Because the Lord is our strength. The Lord is, the, is the, uh, our safety, you know, in, in times of trouble. Uh, you are a hiding place for me. You keep me safe from distress. You surround me with cries of deliverance. So we, we don't trust in the things of the world to keep us safe we, we, uh, or to, um, for the forgiveness of sins. We have to turn to the Lord. We turn to our priests. We turn to our church. We turn to God's grace. We turn to the sacraments. And he continues in verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will fix my eyes upon you, right? So let's not fix our eyes and focus on the things of the world um, for instruction and teaching <laughs> because often people have agendas uh, and, and our only agenda should be following the will of Christ, aligning our will and our, our hopes, our, our dreams, our desires with, with the will of God uh, in the obedience of faith. Our will and God's will are one, now we're free, truly free to become the person who God created us to be. And then David has a little fun here. Be not like horse and mule, unintelligent, needing bridle or bit, or else they will not approach you. So in order for a horse or a mule to, uh, to approach us, we have to bridle and a bit, and we kind of control them. It says, no, we have the freedom of loving God. Many sorrows has the wicked, but loving mercy surrounds the one who trusts the Lord. There we go. You have the trust in the Lord and his loving mercy surrounds us. Right? We are enveloped. You know, sometimes we say we're um, enveloped by the, the mantle of Mary. You know, we're surrounded by, by her mantle. And um, this is a beautiful image too, being surrounded by God's mercy, being embraced by God's love when we trust in him. So no matter what's going on in the world, you know, we feel like we're drowning. We feel like you know, uh, that our relationship with God is out of reach? No. David says we must have confidence and trust in the God and his love and his mercy will see us through. Rejoice in the Lord. Exult you just. Ring out your joy, all you upright of heart. So David ends the psalm so beautifully. So he says, okay, you know, we start off 
you know, the heaviness and transgression of our sins. We, we, we uh, allow God in his love and his mercy to forgive us of that sin um, that leads us into deeper intimacy with him. And that's where our joys and, that, and that's where our, 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 our heartfelt love and devotion to God comes from. And that's something we share with others. Well, when we come back, we're going to look at indulgences. You have to be part of the conversation. Give us a call. 833-288-3986. All right. Bringing us back. to Grooving into our topic today of indulgences. I like that. <laughs> well, you're listening to Beacon of Truth. I'm your host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. We have our crack show team who are on it. Our social media expert, Charles Berry. Our call screener, Matt Gabinski. And our producer, Ace McKay, is in the place. Always great when we get a chance to dig deeper into God's Word. And Father Mike Schmidt helping us to do that this year, tonight, and every night, 10 Eastern and Saturday and Sunday morning, 7 Eastern on EWTN Radio. You can definitely dig deeper into the Bible. Uh, Father Mike is actually taking us through the Bible and the Catechism of the Catholic Church, so you've got the full year to do so. So check that out again tonight and every night, 10 Eastern on EWTN Radio. All right, very good. Well, let's dive into the topic here, indulgences. So uh, so to set this up, you know, yesterday we talked about the fact that after the fall in the garden, in Genesis chapter 3, there were two effects of sin. There was the eternal punishment of sin, the loss of heaven, and the loss of sanctifying grace. And there was the temporal punishment for sin. Um, the, so earthly or, or uh, temporal uh, uh, punishments for sin, uh, which is an unhealthy attachment to the things of the world. So, for example, um, we go to confession, right? We have our sin forgiven. We have restored sanctifying grace. But we sin again, don't we? <laughs> so we have to go back to confession again, right? And, and so it's, it's, confession is one of those sacraments that we receive over and over again. So... Book of Revelation, chapter 21, 27, is very clear. Nothing unclean shall enter heaven, uh, nor anyone who practices abominations or falsehood, but only those whose names are written in the book of life. So in order to enter heaven, there obviously there can't be any sin or even the desire to sin. So even though the, uh, the guilt of the sin has been forgiven in the sacrament of reconciliation, uh, and we, we have the sanctifying grace that we need to get to heaven, we still have concupiscence, right? The desire to choose things that are not of God. And that can't exist. The desire to sin that is, can't even exist in heaven. And so those temporal punishment or temporal attachments are taken care of after death. We talked about yesterday with purgatory, which is the purging and the cleansing of those of those final attachments before we can get to heaven, or they could be taken care of on earth through the use of indulgences. Even when you say that word indulgence, people start freaking out. Oh no, the indulgences! Didn't the church stop that? And then they sell indulgences. Let's let's take a closer look. So an indulgence is a remission before God of the temporal punishment due to sin. Whose, sin, whose guilt has already been forgiven. So 
the mistake that sometimes is made with people think about indulgences, we're selling salvation. No, no, no. The sacrament of reconciliation is what restores salvation. <laughs> okay? Uh, indulgences don't do that. In fact, in order to receive indulgence, you have to go to the sacrament of reconciliation first. Then you can receive the indulgence. So, so it has nothing to do with, with um, uh, the grace that, selling the grace that we need to go have, selling salvation. Nothing to do with that at all. Uh, so when we sin, we incur not just the guilt of the sin, but we're also liable for punishment. Right? So let me, let me see if I can draw a simple example. Maybe from, from my little law enforcement background here. So someone commits a crime. Okay? They get caught. They have to go to court. Now, they, uh, they may issue an apology. You know, they make a statement apologizing for what they did. And they have to pay damages. Right? So they say, you know, I did this. I am sorry. You know, um, I, I, I fully take responsibility for what I did. I was wrong. I apologize, sincerely apologize, and, and, and I will pay forever damages. So if you, the parallel, we commit mortal sin, um, we apologize, that's the forgiveness of the sin, and then we pay the damages, which is the penance that we do when sin is forgiven. However, if the crime was uh, you know, uh, substantial and there was damage or, or someone was injured, um, then there could be fine or jail, which is like purgatory, or it could be taken care of another way through community service or probation or some other act. Those would be like indulgences. So even though the forget the, the, the we've apologized, we paid the damage and reparation. There's still um, we still have to deal with the uh, the punishment that's due to the act that we committed. We're still liable for punishment because of what we did. So, again, I'm just trying to draw a simple example here of uh, the difference between the sacrament of reconciliation and purgatory and indulgences. Yeah, and you have to get to that point where you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Like, you go to confession, you're good for a little bit, then you do it again, then you go back to confession. Like, at some point, like you were saying, you have to lose the desire to want those things, and wanting to please God more has to be the dominant force. Yes, exactly. And and all of this, uh, we talk, all the things we're talking about here, um, this is part of what we call as Catholics the treasury of merit, the inexhaustible uh, treasure of heaven. Obviously, preeminently built up by the sufferings of Christ. Okay, I mean, uh, this treasury of merit uh, is is gained by Christ's suffering and death on the cross, and secondarily by the martyrs and and all those that come after him why because remember paul says i make up in, in my body what is lacking in the sufferings of christ well what christ's sacrifice is all sufficient what is lacking in christ's suffering well nothing the only thing that's lacking according to paul is our participation in that right it's our participation so the the so when we go through suffering um you know uh the merits of the saints uh, again, all through the love of Christ and what Christ did for us on the cross, you know, we, we participate and, and add to that treasury of merit. And we can access the graces from that, from that treasury through uh, the, the church's power of the keys, right, in Matthew uh, uh, 16, 18 and Matthew 18, 18, uh, to be able to access that, the, the graces from that treasury of merit. So there's two types of indulgences. There's plenary indulgences, which is the remission of the entire 
temporal punishment due to sin so that there's no further um, purging or expiation that has to be done in purgatory. So if you get a plenary indulgence and you die, you go straight to heaven. That's, and it doesn't even say that's, that's practically impossible <laughs> to, to keep that, you know, to keep that going. But the most common ones are the partial indulgence, which remits only a, a certain portion of the penalty that's due to sin. All right. And so in order to gain an indulgence, there's actually what's called a handbook or an ingredient of indulgence is actually pretty small. Um, and so the first thing you have to have the intention of performing the, the act. You have to perform the act in stipulation with what's um, what's required in the in the handbook of indulgences. OK, so you have to have the intention to 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 gain the indulgence. Um, and then there's certain requirements. So you have to confess your sins. Like I said, that's first and foremost. You have to go to confession first. You have to receive, the, therefore, confession, receive the sacrament of, of the Eucharist worthily, receive communion. You pray for the Pope's intentions, okay? And uh, in the, that's for uh, a partial indulgence. For plenary indulgence, in, in addition to those three things, you also have to add uh, exclusion from all attachment to sin even venial sin. <laughs> no. Woo, that's really hard. You know, but but it's possible, right? But but that's uh that's a difficult one. I rather rack up the 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 partial indulgences myself. Uh so indulgences can be of course applied to the living for yourself uh by way of absolution or to the dead by way of intercession because the dead can't pray for themselves, and so that's why we pray for our brothers and sisters who have gone before us as it says uh, in the Eucharistic prayer, uh, marked with the sign of faith. Now, what happened during the Reformation? We have to talk about that, okay? Because that's where a lot of people, uh, some of the abuses came in. So, at the start of the 16th century, Pope Julian II grants an indulgence for the penitential practice of almsgiving. So remember, there's prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. When you went to the Sacrament of Reconciliation back in, in, in that time, the 16th century, you could receive a penance that, resolved, that, uh, resolved, uh, that was pr either prayer, which is the common one we have now, right? Say five Hail Marys and, or and Our Father, like that, right? So prayer. Fasting was also popular back then. You know, you, you could only eat bread and water for the next week or something like that. And then almsgiving was also a way, an option, to be able to, um, as a penance, so you would give money to the poor and things like that. So the, the issue came up with Pope Julian that um, he granted an indulgence for almsgiving with the money going to rebuild St. Peter's Basilica. Okay, And so his successor, Leo, Leo X, um, also continued the practice and so he enlisted the help of Dominicans, well, mainly Dominicans, to preach indulgences. Um, and so when people, they had to go to confession, and, and the penance that they would receive would be almsgiving, and that money would go to, to help to rebuild St. Peter. So they weren't actually buying indulgences. It was one of the ways, like, again, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving as a way to, as, as part of the penance uh, that you receive as part of, uh, after you receive absolution uh, for the sins that you've committed. The problem was, is that there were bishops 
that allowed a number of indulgence preachers to come in his diocese, um, you know, and they would receive like a kickback uh, as a result. So the money's supposed to go to the poor. Some of it was supposed to go to St. Peter's. But some bishops realized, hey, you know, uh, this is a, a, a good way to make money for maybe some other things I want to do here. And so, um, uh, again, that, that kind of became uh, an abuse there where bishops were bringing as many indulgence preachers in as possible because they're supposed to teach people about indulgences and what they are to bring them closer to Christ. They would go to confession. They would show a, a certificate that they received. Yes, we, we, we took this class. We understand what indulgences are. And then the penance would be, you know, um, you, you do the almsgiving and part of that money would go to the poor and some of it would go to helping rebuild St. Peter's. Um, so the problem with Luther came is that when Luther found out about this practice, um, uh, what normally would happen, the indulgence preacher would come and explain indulgences and encourage people to gain an indulgence for themselves. Um, they would issue a certificate to the person, uh, and that person would bring it to the priest. The priest would hear the confession, and after the person was absolved, they would be giving a penance that included almsgiving. So Luther believed that that practice was selling indulgences, what he, what he called selling salvation. Okay, but it was simply um, one of the practices of either prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. But you can see, I mean, just by the explanation that I gave, you can see how something like that could be abused. And, and quite frankly, some of that did. Again, you have bishops. Uh, you know, not all bishops are, 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 are followed the, the letter of the law, and some saw this as an opportunity to do some other projects in their dioceses. You know, so you could never actually buy an indulgence. You were simply buying uh, or, 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 or paying an alms for, a, for something that's good. So that's, that's what was going on. There was no outright uh, selling of indulgences. So when this became an issue uh, in the Council of Trent, which meant from 1545 to 1563, um, they instituted reforms of the practice of granting indulgence. They never said that indulgences were out that we're going to stop doing them. They, they, so indulgences have always been in the life of the church. But what they, what they did was they said, okay, we're going to change how you're granted an indulgence. And so in response to all of that, after the Council of Trent, Pope Pius V canceled the granting of indulgences that involved anything to do with almsgiving or any kind of finances whatsoever because of the abuses or the potential for abuse that was happening before. So, so, so that's basically um, what was going on there. So today, we can still receive indulgences, and, and, and they're typically prayers. So if you get the handbook of indulgences, uh, again, you go to uh, confession, you make a good confession, uh, you receive communion worthily, you pray for the intentions of the Pope, and then you do the, some of the prayers that are in there. For example, there were special indulgences during the Jubilee Year of Mercy. Sometimes if you go to a certain pilgrimage site, you receive an indulgence for attending a pilgrimage site. Um, there are uh, all kinds of ways you can receive indulgences, rosaries, praying rosaries, and, and all kinds of things. So I don't think we take advantage of those um, because, because people think, well, there was a problem with them in the past and, you know, uh, there's these issues. No, I would encourage you, really, to get the, the handbook of indulgences. Again, it's not that big. Um, and, to, and, just to, and really start using those. Um, and, and again, with the attention, I want to help remit some of the temporal 
uh, punishment for sin and, and cut some time off of purgatory. You know, and I think uh, indulgences are a great way to, to even be closer uh, to the Lord. You know, so uh, but, and so we have um, uh, uh, and, uh, was Tom, Tom from Ohio uh, in the state that I'm in. Uh, I think he has a, a question or a comment. Tom, are you there? Yes, I am here. All right, Tom, what's Could your you question? Could you hear me? Yeah, what's your question? Yeah, the question I have um, is, like, I don't know, like, um, like with what you were saying uh, during, the, um, uh, uh, during the Reformation and that, and, like, um, where there was, like, uh, improvements uh, in um, the... Um, the control of um, where um, the indulgence was supposed to be going, where um, it's, uh, like you're saying, uh, the abuses uh, of um, uh, the local bishops and that, where um, uh, this was addressed in that, like, uh, during the, um, uh, the, the time period of the Middle Ages. I don't know if it was even on the 95 Thesis uh, at the Wittenberg uh, Cathedral, of like um uh like a point counterpoint uh, that Martin Luther actually did uh spell out and um uh the question i have is like well um you know i i would is it was like um looking into um uh like uh, uh you know almost like bible only um like where uh not relying on tradition but like i saw certain passages where um uh, where I think it's in uh, Thessalonian, uh, where you know tradition is uh, uh, like uh, it, uh, is legitimate in uh, not only Bible but uh, tradition uh, with Bible, uh, like uh, allows for uh, certain um, uh, rites and rituals to uh, continue in that, and. Um, and like I was saying, there, there's other uh, places. I got this one track out in California, and like um, you know, I don't want to really uh, read a track that is attack, 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 to where they're trying to um, you know discredit that uh, some of the um, uh, practices uh, of like um, uh, of our Catholic tradition. But like um, you know, uh, they, they were. I was like reading this. Um, and I know that, like, uh, there was, like, other, like, um, Catholic authors that were in defense of, um, of, our, our, of our faith. And, um, but, yeah, like, in this one track I got, our yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to figure out, what's, do, you, do you have a question that you want to ask? I'm not exactly sure what you're um, trying to ask. You know, I was just wondering, like, um, you know, I was, like, actually looking at some of my holy cards. It had on their indulgences. And like it seems like there's like um uh like uh, uh like uh, like with prayer with um you know the confession the the indulgence um you know was there is there like two um uh, different uh like aspects to um uh to um indulgences I mean is there yeah. like a spiritual side and then is it yeah. that, that that the church should not actually be applying it in a way where uh that um in like uh, almost like a sense of carnality. Yeah, I see. I see what you're saying. So, so after you go to confession, right? Uh, the, the the priest absolves you. I absolve you. Obviously, he was given that power and authority in, in uh, John chapter twenty, verse nineteen. Jesus gives the power in the Holy Spirit. 
for the priest to forgive sins in his name. So he goes, I absolve you. So your sin is forgiven. The slate is wiped clean. You have sanctifying grace restored. However, you still have to do a penance, even though the sin is forgiven. So what's the penance for? So even though, again, the, the simple example I gave earlier, even though you've admitted what you did was wrong, and you, you, you said, yes, I did wrong, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, uh, pay the penalty for this, you know, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay you back for, for the loss that you suffered, There's, you're still liable for the guilt uh, or for the punishment for that sin. So even though you said you're sorry and you receive forgiveness, you still are liable for punishment due to that sin. So the penance that you receive, again, back in, in the, uh, the time period we're talking about, uh, it's, it was prayer or fasting or almsgiving. So your penance, right now, if you go to confession, your penance is typically, well, if you go to uh, some priests, you know, they say, well, 10 Hail Marys or uh, uh, say the uh, confidior or, you know, say Psalm 51 or, or whatever it is. Um, it's, it's typically just prayer right now. But back in the earlier church, it was prayer or fasting. So you, you come out of the confession, your penance is you will eat bread and water for the next week. That's a fasting penance. Or the other choice was almsgiving. Okay, your penance is give X amount of dollars to the poor, you know, uh, or something like that. Oh, and, and again, where the, the, or in this case we talked about, it also could be you give money for St. Peter's, you know, uh, to help rebuild St. Peter's. So it was not going to line people's pockets. It wasn't going to like, like in, in politics pork projects. It was going to something that was good, um, but but you but you already received forgiveness of sins and salvation. What and, and so one of the ways that you received the the uh, remission of the temporal punishment was through the the, the use of a, an indulgence. So prayer, fasting, and alms giving, because that helps to remit the temporal punishment of sin, and, and that's what we're talking about. So the 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 peace with paying and all of that. That was um, done away with at the Council of Trent and then also subsequently by um, Pope Pius V also did away with, with all of that because of the potential of abuse. But because we access that grace through the treasure of merit for what Christ did on the cross and the suffering of the saints, um, we, we can still access that grace through indulgences. The church never did away with indulgences. It's still something that we do to this day. Um, and indulgences are still granted, but people have a wrong idea about what they are. So I thought, you know, during this Lent, why don't we talk about something that's going to actually help people, people um, understand their faith more deeply and grow closer to the Lord? Because the, the more sin we get out of our life, the closer we move to Christ. So, so my sense here is with indulgences, yes, we go to confession. Yes, we receive a penance, but there are also other things that can do. Um, that can help us move closer to Christ while we're still alive on earth that will actually lessen our time in, in purgatory because we would have purged some of those things here on earth before we die. That's the idea. And it all comes from God's grace. There's nothing that I can do to earn an indulgence on my own. All, it's all due to the merits of Christ and uh, the martyrs and all of those who've gone before us who participated in the suffering of Christ in a deep way. We're just accessing that 
through the power of the keys of, of Holy Mother Church. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Tom. And I, I think, too, you know, while we talk about, you know, not having to deal with certain things in purgatory, also not having to carry that weight now is a part of that piece. As we're going through Lenten, we're trying to get into better habits and better communion with God so that we can have that peace from the sins that we've committed, from the things that have been weighing on us in some cases for years because we just never let it go or we just kept picking it back up like we somehow could you know forgive ourselves and god would be okay like that 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 just doesn't happen we have to find that peace by going to god with these things and 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 relinquishing them exactly i mean, want to say congratulations to andrew He's, he he said he did his first confession today mm. all right congratulations andrew that's awesome now now uh ace as an anglican what do you guys do you have something like indulgences in Anglican Church or anything, or no? I mean, ours is more of, you know, in, in our prayers, we have our, you know, Book of Common Prayers that we go to, and then obviously we have a priest that we can go to in the event that there's something large or, or a, a regular occurring sin that'll, you know, keeps us from having a better walk with God or, or not being able to relinquish it on our own. Like, we know we can talk to God and ask His forgiveness in our own, you know, personal quiet times, but if there is something larger, then we can take that, you know, before the church or before uh, our priest and, you know, they walk us through, you know, the penances and all of those things. Yes. Uh, amen. Oh, that's okay. All right. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, but, 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 uh, hearing the discussion today, um, the, you see, I mean, there's nothing that you, you would disagree with, you think, or no? No, 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 no. I mean, I mean, ultimately, you know, we have to find a way to let go of the things that have been weighing us down, the, the habits and hangups, you know, that have kept us from being able to be close to God. So get there, find that place where you go. I, like I said earlier, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired of the things that I'm doing and I don't know how to break this cycle. Someone help me. Yeah, and that's, that's what we're all trying to get to. Uh, amen. That's awesome. Well, we hope you enjoyed today's program about indulgences. Now, tomorrow, if my flight is on time, we will have Word <laughs> of God Wednesday. We'll look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 20 to 33, one of my favorites in the New Testament. We're going to break that wide open. And remember, you can stream today's show by visiting Podcast Central at EWTN.com slash radio. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.